0: So when we were on vacation last summer, uh, our family vacation is driving south and visiting family members in the south, driving to Mississippi, driving to south Texas. You know, we, we go nuts. Well, We were on vacation last summer, and we had a blowout on the highway, a very busy highway. One of our tires got completely destroyed. And um, we were trying to reach Mississippi by dinnertime time which is kind of a hard thing to approximate when you have little kids in the car you need to stop to feed them and go to the bathroom. We were trying to get there by dinner time because Jackie's grandfather is so hospitable. We wanted to have a meal with him. But we had this blowout six hours before we got to Mississippi. And uh, as we were sitting on the side of the road, you know, our dreams of that on-time arrival were just dashed. And the situation that we were in caused me to ask some questions I had never asked before. All of a sudden, I wondered if my car insurance had a towing benefit. I wonder about that. That's kind of an important thing. I didn't care about that question the day before. I didn't care about the question the week before or years before when I got my policy. But all of a sudden, I really cared to know, does my car insurance have a towing benefit? So there I am on the side of the road, and I go online to, to, to access my policy. you have to download the app. So I downloaded the app. Then you needed two-step verification, like an email and phone numbers. I just couldn't get anywhere with it. So I called the 1-800 number, and I was on hold for 15 minutes. And I'm just sitting there like, this is so frustrating. But this benefit had become a number one priority to discover, you know, what was it at this moment. So eventually, after about 15 minutes, someone pulled up behind us, and helped us put the spare tire on, and I only learned later about what my current insurance covered. But that's how life goes for most of us as modern people. We have made ourselves so incredibly busy, and we are so saturated with information in the age of Google and the internet, and we have this ability to get any information at any time that we want. But instead of getting smarter, we tend to put off knowing and understanding things until a crisis we say, "We'll just check later. No problem. We'll just get on that app. Uh, we can always look it up when the situation arises. We have, a, we have a computer in our pocket. You know, this is how we do things. It hasn't made us smarter, but it's made us know less things because we don't read things very carefully anymore. I think that's usually a pretty fine plan. It didn't really work out well for me on the side of the road there, but usually you actually can just find the information you need when you need it when the situation arises. But this is not a good plan in terms of our relationship with God. This is not a translational... It doesn't translate well to our relationship with God. And I want to tell you what I feel the Holy Spirit is saying to me uh, this morning. I feel like he's saying, you cannot know me, you can't really know me if you only look me up when a situation arises where you need help or information. You cannot really know God if you only look him up when the situation arises. God is not like a magic genie in a bottle. And God is not like a cosmic slot machine. They just pull that lever and hope for the best. God is a relational God, and He is a personality. And it's a relationship that needs to grow uh, with us. To know God, is to put our faith in who God says he is when trials arise. And to do this, we must know something about who he is already. We must have sought after him when times were more peaceful. If you want to really know God, the flat tire method is not the method to go with. That begs the question, does God answer and hear people who find themselves in a crisis, a flat tire type experience, a, a, a bad medical exam, or... Um, fears about uh, a child or something like this, of course he does. He does reveal himself to people who are in crisis. But to really know God, to get to know him, you must familiarize yourself with him by spending time in his word, in silence, seeking the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Knowing, understanding, and obeying The Word of God is fundamental to all true success as a Christian. That's one of our core values, knowing the Word of God. Because if we don't know the Word, when a trial comes, we're we're just going to square one. (laughs) Who is God that I'm supposed to put my faith in? You know, that, that kind of thing. Whereas if we know the Word, we can know something of Him, and we can put our faith in Him in that moment and experience Him. So that's what today's sermon is all about. It's about knowing who God says he is just because we want to. We have this freedom. It says says in uh, Jeremiah and also reiterated in uh, Hebrews that we have been given an inward knowledge of who God is. That we don't need someone to tell us who God is anymore because we can all know him. From the greatest that we can think of to the least. God, it says in Joel and Also reiterated in the book of Acts, Old and New Testament, that in these days he's poured out his spirit on the sons and daughters. Old men, young men, older women, younger women. From every place in life, he's poured out his spirit. So with all of this privilege and this age in which we live in, where we can get information with just a little bit of a Google search, God says, go analog, go old school. Look into who I am when things are going okay. And then, when the trial comes, you'll have something solid to put your faith in. The flat tire method just doesn't work for spirituality with Jesus. Now, just like with my car insurance policy, the benefits really only apply when you are indeed one of God's people. You know, one of the people that has put their trust in God. After all, it says... And God works out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's not a blanket promise to everybody. It's a blanket promise to everyone who's put their trust in Jesus. So really, the benefits that we can expect from our relationship with God that we're going to talk about today, they come to policyholders. So today, if you are not currently enrolled in a relationship with God, um, you can hear about some of the benefits that God promises his children through the covenant he's made with us. In fact, that's the word that the psalm we're going to read today uses, the benefits of a relationship with Jesus. So we're going to read in Psalm 103, which is a, a favorite psalm of mine, and we're going to look at what God says about himself in this psalm. I'd like to start by practicing what I'm preaching, so to speak, so... Close your eyes and listen to this psalm. Listen to what God says about himself. Listen to what God says about us. Listen to God says what God says about his posture towards us, uh, his people. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits. He remembers we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Amen. Amen. That's God's word to anyone who is in a covenant relationship with him today. Um, We're going to look at what this says about God and what we can learn about God from this. And it it was such a benefit to hear John Soper on Friday this past week share about Psalm 103. A lot of my thought process came from him. A lot of my thought process came from a study Bible. Do you have a study Bible? Get an NIV study Bible. It's the best investment you could possibly make. Um, you can learn so much about God just from these little liner notes and the cross references. It's an amazing tool. But uh, John Sober was so good in Psalm 103. We're starting Hebrews on Monday. So I encourage you to jump in with us and start the book of Hebrews. You know, this incredible transitional book that explains the Old and New, the Old and New Testament covenants and really helps us understand God. Um, but on Friday, we read this in our daily reading, Psalm 103. And this psalm is 22 verses, and each of the verses is a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, meaning that it was meant to be memorized. So the psalmist is basically saying, this is something you should commit to memory when things are going well. This is not a PDF you download on your phone on the side of the road. Memorize this. Learn who God is. You will do well. So this is about the benefits of being in this relationship with God. It says in verse 2, forget not all of his benefits. So more important than the car insurance policy, what are the benefits of this relationship, not policy, a relationship we have with this personality, God who has called us to himself, who has made himself known partially in Old Testament times, but now has been revealed fully through Jesus. What are the benefits of this relationship? The first benefit that's listed in verse 3 is he forgives all your sins that's a pretty good sermon meditate on that i want you all to think of the worst sin you've ever done and then raise your hand when you're ready to share with everybody (laughs) honestly he forgives all your sins god has decided to forgive all the sins of anyone who enters a covenant relationship with him through jesus christ how has that work read the book of hebrews and you'll find out jesus is the surprise ending to israel's story and the fulfillment of the of all the prophecies of the old testament he took care of everything so that we could have this relationship with god so that anyone who comes to god through jesus their sins are forgiven who's got a top five of their worst sins they are going to share with everybody no one No volunteers. Okay, I knew that would happen. Yeah. (laughs) It'll be on the podcast. I'll I'll put a special episode. Seriously, you would not, you know, if we hurt each other's sins, we would all be like, wow. But listen, God forgives all of your sins. That's a benefit of a relationship with God. It's a huge benefit. Your sins are no longer counted against you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Doesn't say there's no condemnation for anybody, but for those who are in Christ Jesus, in a relationship with God, there is no condemnation. Because Jesus takes care of our sin. If you have something in your life that you've done or are doing, a sin that makes you feel separate from God, know that the Word of God says that if you repent of your sins, if you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins. And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And perhaps the next step for you to, f- to really feel and appreciate that forgiveness is to find someone who's trustworthy and mature to confess that sin to so that you can get some help, you know? Because God doesn't condemn you. God wants you to live in the fullness of life. You know, Sin are the things that pull us down and, and ruin our soul. And he wants us to find the path of life. So he forgives all of our sins. Uh, The second verse here, it says, He heals all your diseases. Now, this is somewhat, could be said to be a spiritual thing where he heals us from from our sin. But we also know that there is healing available, physical healing, through the atonement of Jesus Christ, through the cross. And people, Jesus' ministry was speckled with lots and lots of healings it was a sign of who he was and a sign of the kingdom so maybe this will be a little bit easier has anyone here experienced physical healing through christ all right we got a couple actually i see some doozies out there even even in recent days people in this church have been physically healed this is something that uh, that god does paul came to god and said heal my thorn in the flesh And he wanted to be healed of that thorn in the flesh, whatever that was. They think it was his poor eyesight. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. So he walked with that thorn in the flesh. He got an answer from God, though, as to why he was in this trial. In Christ, there is physical healing. James talks about praying for one another to be healed. In the same breath that talks about confessing our sins to one another, It says, pray for one another and receive healing. I guarantee you that you will experience more miracles if you try doing it once in a while. So just try praying for someone for healing because there is an allowance for healing in the Lord. He redeems your life from the pit. He heals all of your diseases. Verse 4 says, He redeems our life from the pit and crowns us with love and compassion. I love in Revelation, it said, there's advice to one of the churches in Revelation, and it escapes me which one, but it says, Remember the height from which you've fallen. You know? And we don't remember the height from which we've fallen to beat ourselves up over how sinful and horrible we are. We remember the height from which we've fallen to remember how God has redeemed our life from the pit and crowned us with love and compassion. Luke 15, read the story of the prodigal son. Just, just read it. Look at the father and how he waited for his son to come home, his wayward son, who had wasted all of his money in wild living and come to the end of his rope and was now coming, coming back to kind of apologize to his father, hoping to be treated at least like a slave or a servant. The father crowns him with love and compassion, puts a ring on his finger and a robe around him and celebrates because the son that was lost is now found. That's a picture of the love and compassion of God that's talked about here. So remember your, your top five worst sins, or whatever. <laughs> think about how the height from which you've fallen and how Jesus has redeemed your life, or is redeeming your life and crowning you with love and compassion. That's a picture of God's amazing love. So think about that. Think about how God has crowned you with love and compassion, redeemed your life. In uh, verse five, it says, he satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. And this is, this is a verse that really speaks to me and to, to, to all of us. God has good things to satisfy our desires with. Um, they aren't necessarily like the instant gratification things, but there's some great things in life that God's given us. God wants to renew us so that we can soar like the eagle. You know, sin just gets in the way of that happening and mucks it up. But God, for his part, he satisfies our desires with good things. So our youth is renewed like the eagle's. Verse 6, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. This is a part of the scriptures that's often neglected by the evangelical world and emphasized by uh, other other parts of the Christian community, the activist types. Um, But there's so much in the Bible about caring for the poor, for the oppressed, the hungry, the widow, the orphan, the vulnerable. It's it's such a prominent theme that some people have said, that's what the whole point of Christianity is, just this one thing, and that's kind of an imbalanced view, but it's it's mentioned so much, especially in the prophets, and Jesus talks about it, that we really need to take take heed of that. A a professor of mine from seminary, who is the reason I didn't get high honors, because he gave me A-minuses, yeah, (laughs) because I guess I'm a, a perfectionist or something, but he had this great post on Facebook, and he said this. The the post was called Evangelical Ignorance. Oof, that doesn't sound good. A prominent evangelical leader said that he had just discovered the hundreds of biblical verses dealing with God's concern for the poor, the weak, and the destitute. How, he asked, was it possible for him to study at an evangelical college, earn his theological degree at an evangelical seminary, become a faculty member at an evangelical school, and never learn about God's special concern for the poor? Some people overstate the importance of this biblical teaching about the poor, such as liberation theologians and some statements from the World Council of Churches, which make this concern the central biblical truth, the criterion of biblical faithfulness. Yet, we dare not fall into the opposite error and skate around a substantial portion of God's holy and enduring and authoritative word. We just need to not overlook those parts of the Bible that tell us to look out for the poor and the oppressed, the widow, and the orphan. And we need to find ways to express the heart of Christ in these areas. You know, the soup kitchen is a great start. Um, the, the shelters of Saratoga and Code Blue is a great start. The Capital City Rescue Mission trips, mission trips, these are all great ways to begin to care for people that are poor and, and destitute in bad situations. And there's so many opportunities that many of you have taken hold of, to serve in these areas. And know that this is a ministry that just pleases Jesus. The people that came to Jesus were poor and destitute, for the most part. And he did a lot of good stuff for them. He challenged them, and he redeemed them, and he forgave them, and he healed them. And the people that knew the most stuff about the Bible didn't work out so well for them. So (laughs) Jesus really, really is attracted to the humble of heart those who are down. So he works justice for oppressed people, and he wants to use the church to work justice for oppressed people too. And there's many theories as to how to best do that, but find, find a way. Find a way. Find a way. All of this is, all these works of God, forgiving our sins, healing our diseases, redeeming our life from the pit, crowning us with love and compassion, satisfying our desires with good things, so our youth is renewed like the eagles, working justice and righteousness for the oppressed. All of these things are reflected in the story of Moses in Israel. Verse 7, it says, He made known his ways to Moses. And this was a partial revelation of who God was made to Moses, like in the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament, a partial revelation. And he revealed to Moses that he was compassionate and gracious, so to anger abounding in love, he would not always accuse nor harbor his anger forever. And this is, is more than just a statement about what God does. It's a statement of really who he is. Because the reference is to Exodus 34, verses 7 to 9, where it says, And God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellious, and sin. This was the name that he gave to Moses. When Moses said to God, show me your glory, that's what he said. So in case you're, you have a misunderstanding about God, you think Psalm 103 is a little bit flowery, know that this is the name God gave himself, the compassionate and gracious one, the loving and gracious one, uh, who is slow to anger and forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. All of this flows out of who God is. That's his name. That's who he is. These things happen because that's who God is. And that's an amazing truth to take hold of. And that's what he revealed to Moses. But we have an even better revelation of God's great love. And his great, greater love can be described no better than this, that someone would lay down their life for their enemy. And that's what Jesus did for us. While we were dead in our sins, while we were still are shaking our fists at God, he died for us. Every once in a while, someone gives their life for a good person, maybe, or someone they think is good. Jesus gave his life for his enemies. That's the love of the Father. And it wasn't something that he did, it's who he was. And that. And God is love. This is the love of God. An amazing thing. Verses 10 to 12, I loved how Soper uh, talked about this. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. In that passage are the three different ways the scriptures talk about sin. Uh, Sin is to fall short of the mark. Both in the Old and New Testaments, it's missing the mark. Anything we say, think, or do that does not meet God's standard is described as sin. Transgression, the second word for sin here, is rebellion, knowing what God wants you to do, and doing the opposite, willingly, going over any lines that God draws. That's transgression. And iniquity is just this general twistedness that we have in ourselves, that we, are so, we have so much corruption inside of us, even when we want to do good, it gets twisted. <laughs> you know, This is a real problem that we have. We make bad choices, we do the wrong things, um, even when we want to be righteous, because we have this nature in us. And that is why we need God. Because even our good deeds are like filthy rags. We, we, we really have a hard time. And God has, in verse 13, had compassion on his children who have these problems with sin. And he has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Our days are like grass. We flourish, the wind blows, and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. Now God knows that we are weak, that we are frail, that we are fallen, that we are not, we don't have the power to change ourselves, that we're like grass that gets dried out in the sun and blows away. You know, God made us, and he sees, you know, how sin has affected us, and he understands. And that is why we need God, we need him because we're sinners. We need him because we are, we are weak. And God's posture towards us is not become perfect, then I'll love you. Or become strong, then I'll love you. His posture is, just admit you're weak and come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. And he does, those things do not keep us from God. In, in, in the opposite. Just like a good father or mother has compassion on their children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Because he knows we are weak. He knows we are sinful. He's made a way for us to come to him through Jesus. So this is the truth of who God is. The the last part of this psalm talks about this big picture thing uh, in verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. So God has this amazing thing where he controls all things, angels. He has his kingdom above all things. These mighty forces that he commands with his word, like Corey talked about last week. Uh, Even the storms that we see in this world. Uh, God is above all those things, yet he also focuses on his children. You know, uh, uh, the weak ones, us who, who come to him. He has compassion on them, holding all things together. Praise God for that. An amazing thing. So today, you know, looking at this psalm, we really get a picture of who God is. We have this opportunity to come to know God, to really know him, uh, by looking into what he says about himself in this very short psalm. And Psalm 103 is really the perfect case study in describing who God is, who we are, and how God feels about the people that he has made. So therefore, this week I challenge you to begin to memorize Psalm 103. I don't know what trials you have in your life. I don't know what troubles you're going through, but I am challenging you to, instead of Sitting at the side of the road trying to frantically download a PDF file or find a phone number when trouble comes. Put this stuff in your soul right now. This, this truth about who God is, who we are, um, so that when the, t- the day of trouble comes, you'll have something to put your faith in, that God has said about himself. Knowing, and trusting, knowing God's word and trusting in him is what determines success as a disciple of Jesus. So memorize it. Write it out by hand a few times. This is a lost art. you know how to write? <laughs> some, some of you older people know how to write by hand, but type it out. If you want to write it in cursive, write it in cursive if you know how to do that. You know, read it and pray it back to God. One of the things I love to do when when we end a worship service is to take a scripture and just change, you know, not changing the word of God. You know, I know about the warning revelation, but you know, personalize it. <laughs> Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Um, thank you that you forgive all of my sins, Jesus. Thank you that you redeemed my life from the pit. Thank you for satisfying my desires with good things. You know, read it back to yourself and personalize it for yourself. And uh, sh- once you've memorized it, share it with me, and I'll take you out to dinner. Yeah, going to get poor pretty soon here, because you're all going to memorize it, right? So the flat tire faith, being on hold with customer service, waiting on the side of the road for answers, is not going to help us to know the benefits of who God is. Uh, Those times of crisis are times to put our faith in who we have learned God says he is. And in order to do this, we have to put his word into our hearts. And we only know this. We are only able to do that by being in his word on a regular basis, putting it in our hearts. Rob Reimer says in this book, Deep Faith, Faith is a key that unlocks the treasure house of God that is stocked with answered prayers. Faith is a conduit that carries the presence and power of God right into the midst of his people. Faith is a difference maker, a future shaper, a bondage breaker, a kingdom mover. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith is great, but you've got to have the word in you. There's power in faith. don't get it backwards. You need the word of God in you. Memorize Psalm 103. Put it in your heart. Father, we thank you that as far as east is from the west, so far as you have you removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so you have compassion on us. I pray that you administer your grace to your people this week as they take this word and put it in their heart. And as they hear it, they would develop faith. Faith that can move mountains. Because the one we trust in is above all. Commands all of the forces of the universe. And yet is intently focused on each one of our lives as well. So this morning we say we trust you. We want to know more of you. I can speak for myself. I do not want to have this flat tire faith, God. I want to know you and the power of the resurrection. Pour out your spirit on your people. Bless them today as they go. And let your kingdom expand in their lives through this church and through every church in our city and surrounding cities that preaches Jesus and lifts up the word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dispersed. Go and be the church.